<laughs> Good morning. You guys awake this morning? All right, so I'm going to try something different this Sunday. I'm going to try preaching from up here because I heard some feedback that people in the back couldn't see me. Now, I don't know how long I'm going to last up here. Yeah, I got to give myself about five minutes, right? But we'll, we're going to give it a go, and I'm going to try to see because I'd like to have eye contact with you guys and be able to see, and these lights are like Kentucky Fried Chicken lights. So let me, uh, let me pray, and uh, we're going to get into God's Word this morning. God, we thank you. God, we thank you that we can be in your house this morning. God, that we can come into your presence and praise you. God, that we can hear your word, that we can be changed by your word. God, I pray that you would meet with us this morning. God, that you would change the way we think about you. God, that you would change the way we live for you. God, that we leave here people on mission, that you would awaken us to the calling that you have for us as individuals and as a community. God, that you would pierce through our hard hearts, God, at times, and the, the amount of noise that clutters our brains, that we would hear, as Beth prayed, that whisper, that small, still voice that is speaking to each one of us. So God, speak to us. God, change us. God, if we're obstinate and not be willing to change, God, I, I just pray that you would just wreck us with the holy wrecking ball. God, we love you, and we give you this time. Amen. So this is week three in the Awakening series, and I hope that you've enjoyed life groups. Amen. 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 Um, we we're actually going to have uh, Greg Seleski share a little bit towards the end. So uh, towards the end, I'm going to have uh, Pastor Mike go, go grab him. And I just want him to, uh, to share a little testimony that God put in his heart. So I'll have him come towards the end as we uh, come to the end of the sermon. Um, but I hope that you're enjoying the Awakening series and you're enjoying our, our new format and life group. Who's enjoying life groups right now? Woo! <laughs> I'm so pumped for what God is doing. And so week one on the Awakening series, we discovered that, that God's presence is with us and that God's presence changes fundamentally who we are. And then when we start to realize that God's presence is with us, we start to live as though he's our provider, as though he's our God. And we have a God who just wants to be our God, to provide for us. And that week two, we talked about how God's presence empowers us, that God's presence empowers us to live for him. And this week, we're going to look at what he's empowering us to do. We're going to start unpacking that, that people matter that he's calling us to go out and to minister to people, that all people matter to God, so all people matter to us. And this past weekend, I already got to come down. I just can't. I need to see you guys. This past weekend, I was so blessed to go and uh, officiate a wedding down in Florida. Keith Britton, and now Brittany Britton, I like that, B-squared, <laughs> Uh, they got married down in Florida, right outside of Fort Myers. And oh, it was so awesome. Uh, they, they decided to fly me down and put me up in a hotel. 
And it was 90 degrees, and I was able to go in the pool. And in packing my bags, I, you know, I wanted, I wanted my family to go with me, but it just wasn't in the cards financially. So I got excited about having some alone time to be able to get caught up on reading, and I have a lot of homework to do. I'm taking two classes right now. So I was packing my bags, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. I've got this long plane ride. I can, I can sleep. Right, come on now. I can I can work through my Hebrew flashcards. Like, yeah, I'm all excited, and so I got on the plane and I started thinking, okay, maybe, hopefully, I'll get somebody who wants the same thing that they're just gonna <laughs> want to fly and and just rest, enjoy the the, the quiet because I have three kids and it's you know quiet's at a premium right now. <laughs> right, come on, and so I get on the plane and I'm sitting down. And usually you can tell the people they're going to sit next to you. So I'm just looking, no, it's probably not that person. I was like, yeah, I bet it's that person. So two women come up, and I have the window seat. One sits down next to me, the other one. And you could tell, I could tell they were together. And I thought to myself, oh, hey, you know, maybe I'll ask if they want to sit together. It's like, hey, I'll be willing to move over to the other side if you want to sit together. Like, and she's like, oh, no, no. I'm like, oh, boy, she's going to be a talker. Okay, <laughs> so she sat down next to me, and uh, within the first minute, she just started sharing. She started sharing, and I, and I, I, I just closed my eyes and said, God, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get some time, and he's like, nope, <laughs> this trip's going to be about people. I'm like, okay, all right, so here we go. So I start talking to this woman, and within a minute, she starts to tell me about her partner. Okay, so the woman next to her is actually, she was telling me about how they got married, and this is her partner, and I'm like, oh God, you're going to stretch me on this trip, huh? <laughs> okay, and so he's like, yeah. She's like, love her. Okay, so... Well, we're talking, and this woman's awesome. She is so lovely. And she's telling me about, you know, her, her life and, and how she's a manager for home goods, and, and she lives in Connecticut. And, and then, yeah, can, yeah, can I, uh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're in New Hampshire now, Dave. Dave's from Connecticut, and, you know, people in New Hampshire have a different view of Connecticut. Yeah, you got to learn that. You just got to learn it. You know, it's okay. You got to accept it. Right. And so, so then, you know, I'm asking her lots of questions and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm just loving this interaction. And she starts telling me about her childhood and she's telling me, you know, she's, she had a lot of hurt in her life and, and God was using me to minister to her. And, and after, you know, we parted ways, she gave me her card and I thought to myself, wow, that was refreshing. Because as, as a pastor, um, I spend most of my time with Christians, you know, and it's really easy to get in this Christian bubble. And it's really easy to have this initial shock value when you have somebody who has a completely different lifestyle than what you're thinking, uh, that what you even might consider as acceptable or not. But as I was interacting with her and talking with her, she was lovely. She was fantastic. And God used that to kind of prime the pump for the rest of the weekend. So I get to the wedding, and uh, you know, 
Keith and Brittany are believers and a few of their family members are, but most of the, their friends are not believers. You know, Brittany's friends um, who, who flew in, who, uh, you know, friends from college and, and lifelong friends, most of them, you know, they weren't believers at all, not even close. You know, m- most of them, when I introduced myself and said, hey, I'm Pastor Greg, you know, or said, introduced myself and said, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And they go, oh. And you get that. It's like, oh, this is going to be rough, right? But God's like, no, love them, because this trip's about people. And the, Brittany's hairdresser, very, very, very flamboyant gay man. Um, you know, I met him, and we started interacting, and actually, we, it was awesome, on the way home, after all these interactions of, of, of trying to pour out and minister to, to those who didn't know Christ, who at first there was a lot of awkwardness, as, and a lot of walls were breaking down. And by the end of the weekend, uh, most of them there were calling me Pastor Greg, and they were treating me the same way that you guys treat me. And it was like a church family. It was very interesting. God used the ceremony to break through a lot of walls. And they started asking questions about God. And I, most of them said to me, wow, I want to go to church now. Right? So, and most of them live in New Hampshire, down in Manchester. So I'm sending them all to Jorgen. <laughs> yeah, baby. Okay, so I, you know, I put it, I just put it all out there this weekend, that weekend. And I got to the airport and I had my Hebrew book. I'm like, God, I just want to take my last leg of this trip and study my Hebrew, okay? And I'm sitting in the airport, and I look over, and then there, there's this man in his, he looks to be in his 50s, and he keeps looking at me. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> so he started to kind of, you know, hit on me a little bit. And, and... I know. <laughs> and I close my eyes, and I'm like, God, what do I do with this? And he's just, he's, love him. He matters. So I, I just started talking with him and, and sharing, and the conversation developed, and, you know, I started telling him about my family, and he started telling me about his family. And it got really quiet, and he said to me, you know, I'm in Florida because my mom is dying. His mom has a brain tumor, and she's terminal, and she only had a couple weeks to live. And it went from this really awkward uh, initial interaction to this amazing time of ministry. And I was able to share Jesus with him and, and to pray with him. And, uh, you know, he gave me his card as well. And God showed me in this trip, that people matter. All people matter. That all people matter to God. That we can easily get in this Christian bubble of interacting people with people we're comfortable with. But God wants us outside of that bubble. You know, I think we, we often think that we need to respond to God with more religion 
for what he's done for us. But that's not what he's asking. If you look in the book of Micah, if you turn with me to Micah chapter 6. So Micah chapter 6 is a corrective passage where the prophet is actually correcting the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel and especially their religious leaders became so focused on doing religion and less focused on doing people. And they were, they were living this, out this lifestyle, this religious lifestyle in response to what God had done for them. So they realized that God's presence had delivered them, that God's presence was with them, just like we've talked about these last couple of weeks. And in response to that, they thought that God wanted more sacrifice from them. They thought that, well, God, you know, God wants you to go to church or God wants you to do the religious things. And God says in Micah 6, verse 6, that's not really what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for you to respond to me with more religion. I'm looking for you to respond with relationships. I'm looking for you to live in such a way that people matter. So let's work through this. Verse 6 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Shall I become more religious? is what that's saying. And God's saying, no. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, or another translation says to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God's saying that I don't want more religion I want people to matter to you. I want you to treat people differently in response to what I have done for you. That I have restored you, that I have delivered you from slavery to the Egyptians, that I have set you free. Now I want you to go and do likewise. That I want you to be about restoring people. And he gave him, through the prophet Micah, three values or three filters for how we should treat people. Justice, mercy, humility. Now, to do justice is somewhat different than what we think at times. I think we confuse justice with demanding judgment. See, for us to do justice is to ensure that people are being treated justly to ensure that people are being treated the way Jesus would treat them. That people have inherent value to them. That's apart from any religion. That in the beginning when God created humanity, he said that it is good. So that people, all people, have inherent value to them. And we have to be willing to fight for that. That we have to be willing to stand up for that. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So to do justice is to stand up for the oppressed, for the ones who have no voice. To ensure, to make sure, to live in such a way that people are being treated the way Jesus would treat them. That people have value. And the second one, mercy, because people have value, no one is disposable. That God is desiring to restore all people. That he's redeeming people. The word in Hebrew here for for loving kindness or loving mercy is this Hebrew word hesed. And hesed is this covenantal, unfailing, unending love that God has for restoring people unto himself. That he's about taking back people for himself. He's about taking those who are in bondage to sin, those who are in bondage to slavery, and loving them back to wholeness. So our first filter is to do justice. Our second is to love mercy. And our third filter is to walk humbly. And this is recognizing that we ourselves were knee-deep in sin, were dead in trespasses and sin, and God restored us, that God was merciful to us. Therefore, now we show mercy to others. This is our motivation for what God has done for us, we do for others that we are about restoring people. Amen? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. So when I look back at my trip, I could have easily closed the book, closed the door. I could have easily shut out a lot of individuals that I was interacting with who had very, very different lifestyles than me. I could have easily brought judgment upon them and said, well, you know what? They don't deserve my time because maybe they wouldn't respond to me. But shame on me if I would have done that. Shame on me. But God showed me at the very, very beginning of the trip that this trip was about people, that people matter, that all people matter. And we need to be willing to get outside of the religious bubble that we get trapped in sometimes, okay? And we have to be willing to minister to the broken people, the people that are messy, whose lives are falling apart, to the people that it feels uncomfortable to minister to, right? Because that is Jesus. Woo, come on now. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That he came and he took hold of us and he rescued us when we were destroying ourselves. Amen? Come on now. So there's this passage in John, John 8. Turn with me to John 8. This passage shows us two extremes. It shows us on one way how we should live out justice and mercy and walking humbly. And on the other hand, oh man, no way. This is, we, we need to repent of this other way. So I'm going to read you this story, and then we're going to walk our way through it. We're going to look at different characters, and we're going to see how we can be about people. John 8. Now I'm going to preface this saying that this this story is not in the earliest manuscripts that we have in our earliest Greek text. However, I believe that this story has amazing value to it. And whether or not um, this was in the original autograph of Scripture, um, 
you know, we don't know. But it's an amazing, amazing account, and I think it shows the heart of God. Johnny, they went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. So I want you to imagine in your mind what's happening here. You have Jesus who comes into the temple and he sits down. And in sitting down, he was taking the seat of authority. He was taking the seat of a teacher. And there was a crowd of people that came to him in order to hear him and receive for them. They were teachable. They were trying to learn how to live their life for God. Now, in contrast to those who were teachable, who are looking to learn from Jesus how to live for God, you have these individuals who come now on the scene. It says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, they caught her actually literally in the midst of adultery. I, I, can, I can only imagine the scene where they, they rushed in to a house and they saw this woman having an affair with a man, with a married man. Now, she might have been married as well. And they took hold of this woman and pulled her out of the house. And if you notice, they brought the woman to Jesus. They left the man there. Okay? So now they're taking this woman and they're exploiting her. They're using this woman. Okay? So they take this woman and they, and they pull her and drag her and they, and they throw her in the midst of the people who came. It would be like, you know, church. Like right now, if somebody brought in a woman who was caught in adultery and threw her on the floor and said, look at this woman. She was in adultery. And they were doing this because, as we're going to read, they were trying to trap Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher. Now, I think that was kind of tongue-in-cheek, because they weren't really looking to learn anything from Jesus. He said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, and they're referencing Leviticus 20.10 here. Um, now, in the law of Moses... Uh, commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Now, actually, it didn't say that. It says that if there's a couple brought, caught in adultery, you bring the man and the woman. And at the time, they said, you know, if, if, if this was true, then both the man and the woman would be stoned. And I know that sounds really harsh, but that's a very different sermon, and I'm not going to go there right now. But at this time, I want you to know this. That in religious life, it was extremely easy at this time for somebody to get a divorce. Extremely easy. And I'm not advocating for that, but I just want you to get to, to know the religious climate. That if a man just was unhappy with his wife for any reason at all, he could divorce his woman. So they weren't obeying the law. They, they, they weren't living to the letter of the law in this area at all. But now they're pulling out this law okay, from their back pocket, and they're trying to trap Jesus with this woman. And they said, so what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So here's the trap. The scribes and the Pharisees believed that mercy and justice were, were opposite from each other. 
that they were at polar extremes from each other. That they, they believed that, well, if, if Jesus forgave this woman and didn't allow them to stone her, that he would be in violation of God's law. Okay? If he allowed them to stone her, he would be violating Roman law at the time, which there was this, there was this law that was enacted which was against public mobs. Okay, mobs of violence, acts of violence. It, it was a peace, basically a law that was demanding peaceful demonstration. So they were trying to see if he would break Roman law. So they, they had him in this conundrum. But what they didn't realize, what they didn't know, is that Jesus is the perfect intersection of mercy and justice. That he is sacrificial love in the flesh. That he saw the intentions of their heart. He saw that they weren't trying to do justice. They weren't looking at this woman as someone of value. They weren't trying to make sure that, they would be treat, that she would be treated the way God would treat her. They were exploiting her. And he saw that they weren't doing mercy. They weren't looking for this woman to be restored. They saw that this woman was expendable. They were exploiting her. That, that she wasn't worth anything to them. That they were trying to justify their religion. Because they were uncomfortable with Jesus' religion. They thought that he was too loving. Really. They thought that he was too loving. Because he was, he was willing to violate the Sabbath, to heal people on the Sabbath. He acted outside of their understanding of how God operated. That he was radically loving people. And they weren't okay with that. So rather than bringing her to Jesus to find forgiveness and restoration, they brought her to Jesus to find condemnation. And of course, they weren't walking humbly. When they said, teacher, they weren't looking to learn something from Jesus. They were coming as the authority. They didn't posture, posture themselves. They didn't realize what God had done for them. Now, it's very interesting, and I think this is extremely significant, that they only brought the woman. Because if you look at the story of the Old Testament, that the nation of Israel was seen as the wife of God. That God was the husband, and they were the wife. And that throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites struggled with idolatry. They struggled with worshiping every other God in society. And so they were called by God the adulteress. Tracking with me here? They were judging this woman for the very sin that they committed habitually. And God had shown them steadfast love and mercy and was always bringing them back to restoration, not condemning them. Even when they were exiled, God brought messages of hope that he would redeem and restore them to bring them back. He was always working towards restoration. So they were critical about this woman for the very sin that they commit, which shows something about the human condition that far often, way too often, we are critical and judgmental of the sin that we have in our own heart when we see it in another person. 
or far too judgmental and critical of the sin that we see in somebody else that makes us feel most uncomfortable. Tracking with me? Okay. So here's what Jesus does. So as they continued to ask him, he stood up. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed this part. This is even, I, gotta, I need to read this. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. So why is he doing this? He bent down and he did this. He wrote on the ground with his finger. Do you know that when God inscribed the Ten Commandments, the law on the stone tablets, he wrote them in his finger. And by doing that act, he's saying to them, hey, listen, you are not the judge. I am the judge. I'm the judge of the whole universe. I established the law. I established what is true, not you. And so he's writing on the ground. Now, we don't know what he was writing. Maybe he was writing out the Ten Commandments. Maybe he was writing out the sins that they were struggling with, and he was showing them the mail right? I like that they don't tell us because it gives us some room to wonder. And as as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, the Old Testament prescription would be that the husband who was cheated on would throw the first stone, okay? But he's, he's upping it turn it up a notch. And he's saying, okay, if you want to judge her, let, if, if you don't have any sin in your life, you throw the stone. Oh, come on now. That would be like me on this trip. Uh, you know, I could easily look at the vis- visible sin of all the different people I was interacting with who didn't know Jesus, right? And, and condemn them and say, oh. but if I would did that, I'd be ignoring the sin that's in my own heart, that's in my own life, that I wouldn't be humble. In Romans 2, it says this. Therefore, you have no excuse. O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who do such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you escape the judgment of God? Or or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's God's kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. So let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let me pause. This woman matters to Jesus, doesn't she? Yeah, and he's standing up for her. He's standing between the men with the stones and this woman. Are we willing to do something like that? Are we willing to stand up between the stones and the homosexual? Are we willing to stand between the stones and 
you know, the alcoholic, between the stones and the drug addict. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. You know, Jesus was without sin. Jesus, when he was writing on the ground, said, You know, I, I'm the judge. I am the sinless one. I am the standard. And we know that there's no condemnation in Christ. That God came to seek and save the lost, not to condemn them. So the one individual who could have thrown a stone at her showed her mercy. Showed her kindness. Showed humility. The one who descended from on high, who left the heavenly realm, who didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself in all ways, became a man. You know, people matter to God. He's not looking for us to become more religious. He's looking for us to change the way we treat people. Because God in his sovereignty has chosen to work through us to reach people, broken people, lost people, people who are dying, people who are enslaved to sin. And he, they find him through us very often. So we want to represent him correctly. We want to do justice. We want to treat people the way Jesus would treat them. We want to love mercy. We want to bring people to Jesus, not for Jesus to condemn them like the scribes and the Pharisees did. We want to bring people to Jesus to find faith and restoration so that they can be set free from destructive lifestyles. And at the end of the story, when Jesus says, go your way and sin no more, that it's Jesus who changes hearts, that it's in that encounter that it's in that interaction with the God who made us that he remakes our heart so that we can start living differently. It's not by exposing people that we get them to repent. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That we are to walk humbly that we are to recognize that God has rescued us, that we too are in need of saving, that we still struggle with sin, each one of us. And if we said we didn't, we'd be lying. <laughs> that far too often we become critical and judgmental of the same sins we struggle with. We just hide them better. Yeah. That God is a God of love and mercy. It's an unfailing love. And we sang that song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wreck like me. 
I stop and think if I spend a, a week and I don't spend time with God, how the wheels start to fall off the bus? Yeah, come on now. Yeah, we're just as broken. Yeah. So this series, the Awakening series, I'm going to go get, can you go get Greg for the, the life group testimony? The whole point of this series is for us to awaken to this calling, that God is calling us as a church community to be on a mission. And at the heart of our mission is people, that people matter much more than religion. We are not religious people. We are people who follow Jesus, and we follow Jesus into the world to seek and save the lost, to save the broken. And we have to get past our religious mindset, that thing that I struggled with that started to flare up when I was on this trip. And it's in each one of us. And I think there's this fear. There's this fear that, you know, somehow we're going to get compromised in the process of loving somebody who is just desperately sinful. But Tim said it last night. Where are you, Tim, back there? Yeah. You know what? It's, our sin doesn't cast a shadow on Jesus, right? Doesn't. Doesn't. And nobody's too sinful to be redeemed. Nobody's too sinful. Man, these lights are bright. So I want you to think about this. I want you to meditate on this idea that all people matter to God. Therefore, all people matter to us. And we need to start living that out. And that those three qualities of doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly need to dictate how we live and how we interact with people, how we talk and how we treat people that we have to get outside of our comfort zone and minister to those who are broken so that we can bring them to Jesus and they can find forgiveness and restoration. Amen? Great. And I think life group is the perfect segue. I think life group is a great starting point for this. So Greg, you want to come up and share some... Uh, one of the things we've been trying to do uh, is to get everyone literally everyone in a life group. So um, I'm going to move you away from the speaker so we don't get feedback here. And uh, let's, let's climb up here so everyone can see. Okay. So I'm going to have Greg share some about uh, his experience with life group. Yes. Uh, well, uh, for us, it was, uh, we have had a group for uh, about four years now. And we've, I think we've been doing it for about five years, but we've been hosting it for about four years and um, alternating, and uh, the group we've had was, uh, you know, uh, was same uh, individuals, and uh, we've been very blessed to get to know them on a, on a, on a deeper level than we uh, than we normally would have. And uh, but just recently, we've uh, we've had a kind of change, and our life group has the dynamics have changed. And um, but we kind of felt like, boy, that we were really comfortable with who we knew, and felt comfortable with where we were. Uh, with what we knew about one another, and it was a little, I just, I felt like my wife and I didn't have the right attitude going into, uh, you know, the whole dynamics of changing, and, um, but anyway, it, it's been so much more of a blessing than I could even imagine uh, with, our, with our new group, and I'm just really blessed, to, we've just uh, 
really clicked uh, really well. And it's, I'm just surprised how God has worked, where he takes us to a, uh, a newer level and challenges us and, uh, and kind of draws us out of ourselves into a, uh, and, and it, it picks up areas in our lives that we weren't addressing. Uh, sometimes, you know, I was just uh, sharing in the, uh, with someone over in the nursery there. You know, I, I was doing, a, I've been doing a Bible study for 19 years with a group of guys, the same group of guys since Promise Keepers started back in the mid-90s. And, but it's been the same group of guys. And I can see where, you know, that you know, we we are we've we've lost the ability to challenge one another or, or, to, or to stretch one another, and you do you get comfortable and uh, and I, I still love the guys that I I, I uh, get together with, but uh, again it's 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 the dynamics of changing and and meeting new uh, individuals that really has uh, has uh, is really kind of exciting and seeing how God's doing all this and kind of changing us in the process. Uh, and I, I get the exciting part is getting to know more people um, as we, uh, other than just even, even when we stand around and stay around and talk a little while, uh, it's, it's really neat to get into these groups and these life groups and, uh, and, to, and to share and open up. And uh, I'm just amazed to see what God's doing. And um, I'm just really blessed. And uh, I hope that the, everyone in our group is, is really blessed. I, I think so. But uh, I really feel like uh, it's been a real... Um, and again, even with my wife and myself, we have we have seven children and four little ones. Uh, it's th- th- just the thought of trying to do a life group is 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 challenging to us to even do it to host it. So that's all we could do is host it because obviously we have uh, kids we have to take take care of. But um, so anyway, it's just been really uh, just awesome what God's doing, and uh, and I, I just really blessed to get to know more people. Um, as we go through this, um, and again, with the changes he's uh, doing, it's just uh, it's just pushing and stretching us into areas. God, I th- what I think, what I'm seeing happen is he wants to address every area of our lives, and and that's what I'm finding. Um, you know that uh, I don't I don't necessarily want to address every area of my life, but I know that he does, and so I think that's where I kind of have to open myself up to just what he wants and uh and address these areas of our lives where uh, you know we need to grow amen yeah so if all people matter we need to be in relationship right and life groups the perfect uh opportunity to form relationships with each other but also a great platform for inviting new people to come in because sometimes inviting a person to church is intimidating it's much easier to invite somebody to a small group a small gathering okay and uh, thank you, Greg. And, yeah, and we have to be willing to be stretched, yes. right? And when God, when, when we're stretched, uh, we grow. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we get bigger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. Uh, so let me just pray for us, and I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Um, I'll move this down here so you guys can have a little space. If you need prayer, if you need God to restore you, then uh, I want to have uh, some life group leaders and uh, elders, if you're here, uh, to, to come up and uh, we're going to offer prayer, um, prayer for restoration. So I believe that there are some here this morning that need that, that some here this morning feel like the woman more so than the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And one of the challenges of feeling like the woman is that it would be easy to walk away from that situation and be resentful, to be resentful for those who were judgmental or towards them. But Jesus said that we need to love our enemies. We need to do good to those who hate us. And then he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And perfect, he's talking about the love. He's saying they have perfect love. In other words, he's saying that God doesn't discriminate in the way and he loves, neither should we. So if you need restoration, if you need to let go of resentment towards someone who is judgmental towards you, if you need to repent of being judgmental, there's a whole spectrum here. You know? And so you, we have that opportunity this morning to find wholeness, to be restored. So God, we thank you that you care enough to die for us, which is an awful lot. That your love is sacrificial. That you pursue us. That none of us found you. You came to us. That you are the shepherd who comes after the lost sheep. God and each one of us are lost in some way. Each one of us needs redirection. We tend to chase after shiny objects and fall in the mud in the process. God, I pray that you would pick us up this morning. God, that you would set us on our feet this morning. God, that you would restore each one this morning into a right relationship with you. God, that we would be about the things that you want us to be about. God, that we wouldn't be about religion. It would be about relationships. God, that you would change our heart. God, change our heart in such a way that we would desire to see people made whole. That we long to see people find freedom in you. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you have rescued us. God, make us rescuers. Remove anything that gets in the way of that. God, and we repent that if in any way that we've misrepresented you, God, we repent of that. I pray that we would never exploit people and use them to promote a religious agenda to self-justify ourselves. God, that you would be known as merciful people, as loving people, as people who walk humbly and don't consider ourselves greater. God, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.